This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana. Selling your car? Visit Carvana and enter your license plate or VIN. Answer a few quick questions and you can get a real offer in seconds. When you finalize your offer, Carvana will pick it up so you never have to leave the comfort of home. Visit Carvana.com or download the app. Friendships are one of the few relationships that we choose. They can last longer than our romantic relationships and be just as intimate. They can take on the role of family if our own falls short. Having friends is an important part of the human experience, but over the past few years, adult friendship has been on the decline, and men are suffering the most from this. Hey, this is Drew Johnson from Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm 35 and have, at best, one actual friend, maybe, and I have him because my now ex-girlfriend worked with him for a while, and then he came to live with us, and it's depressing as all hell. I can't figure out how to make friends because confidence to go out and do anything on my own is at a minimum, and anybody to bolster that is, well, not there. Drew, thanks for that message. According to the Survey Center on American Life, in 2021, the percentage of men with at least six close friends has fallen by half since 1990. One in five single men in the U.S. say they have zero close friends. Why are men struggling to make and maintain friendships more than ever? And what can they and the people who care about them do to change it? We answer those questions and hear from you. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We've got a lot to get into, so stay with us. Let's welcome Frederick Rabinowitz. He's a professor and chair in psychology at the University of Redlands in California. He specializes in men's mental health and depression. Fred, welcome to the program. Thank you. Also with us is Marissa Franco. She's a psychologist and friendship expert. She's also the author of Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Marissa, it's great to have you back. Thanks so much for having me back. Marissa, why are we seeing adult friendships on the whole decline right now? Um, It's a decline that's been starting, uh, that started a long time ago, actually. In the 1950s, Robert Putnam's book, Bowling Alone, he explores the different factors that have been contributing to disengagement from community life. And he finds that actually the creation of the television was one of the biggest culprits because people would spend their leisure time with other people and then they started to spend it within the corners of their home and they would also feel too lethargic and passive after watching television so they wouldn't really uh, want to go outside, have that energy to, to interact with people. But then we see around 2012 that these trends got a lot more extreme. What happened in 2012? Well, that was the popularization of the smartphone and um, people using social media in increasing ways. And of course, this is something that's hard to prove because correlation doesn't equal causation. But there is, I think, the most compelling evidence for our friendship recession comes from the growth in smartphone usage and the increase in social media usage that has displaced time that people would otherwise spend in person with friends. Hmm. Let's go back to our voicemail box. Strain relationships sometimes happen because of petty issues or maybe some major issues, but I find that uh, it's lacking across the board for men having real, honest, true friendships. Fred, why are men especially vulnerable to the decline in friendships we're seeing? Well, I think, I think traditionally men have 
typically bonded through like shared activity. And so, you know, the more we move away from shared activity, the more we're going to have less contact with each other. And I think in traditional masculinity, being open and vulnerable is seen as weakness rather than strength. And so a lot of men, even if they're feeling a need to connect, oftentimes are inhibited by shame they feel about that neediness. Mm, How does that affect how friendships are maintained for men? Well, I think for men, it's hard. I think that um, typically work friendships and with the pandemic and people working remotely, that's really taken a big hit out of men's contact with each other. Marissa, what do friendships offer us that other relationships don't? Why, Why do they matter? Well, there's actually three different types of loneliness. Intimate loneliness, which is a desire for a close intimate partnership, like a best friend or a spouse. But there's also relational loneliness, which is a desire for someone as close to you as a friend. And there's collective loneliness, which is a desire to be part of a group that's working towards a common purpose. So I think as a lot of us might have seen in the pandemic who are living alone with a spouse, that if we really only have one person in our lives, then we might still feel lonely, even if we're very happy in that relationship. And that's because different people bring out different sides of ourselves. So if we sort of only interact with one person, we only have one experience of ourselves and we begin to feel constrained in our own sense of identity. So what are some of the other consequences of not having either enough friends or enough meaningful friendships, Marissa? Um, It has a powerful impact on both our mental and physical health. Like um, the commonly cited statistic is loneliness is as toxic as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. But there was also a study where people were given the common cold virus and they tracked who actually got the common cold. And they found that one of the biggest predictors, more so than, you know, predictors like whether someone smoked or not, was how diverse their network was. People that were had a more diverse social network, we're much less likely to contract the common cold after being exposed to the virus. So there's just this way that having a more diverse social network could also help us regulate our emotions, feel better physically, feel better mentally. We got this question from Matthew who asks, what counts as a close friend? I have several friends that I keep in touch with, but don't see very often. On the other hand, I also see certain people a lot and we enjoy each other's company, but we may not be close friends. Marissa, not all friendships are alike or or equal. You may go to one friend when you want to talk about a breakup, but go to another one when you want to just go dancing and not think about the breakup. But what are those different levels of friendship? Yeah, so here's how I define a, a close friend. I had a, I was at a wedding and I had a friend and her husband had a bachelor party and half of his friends canceled last minute. So they had to pay like $1,000 for a night in their um, going away for the bachelor party. And I remember him describing these people as their friends. And I thought, you know, those may be good company, but they're not good friends because good company is someone who you enjoy being around, who you like as a person. But when you have a good friend, that's an investment. That is... I'm going to be there for your happy moments. I'm going to try to support you through your sad moments. I'm going to try to be reliable and consistent force in your life. So I think when we become good friends with each other, it's an investment and it's a commitment and it's effortful compared to someone who's just company that we enjoy or who's more of an acquaintance. Mm. Fred, in your experience, what types of friendships do men tend to form? Um, tends to be around activities. It tends to be around some sort of mutual um, event like going golfing or playing poker or something like that. And so there's companionship, but there's not necessarily the intimacy. It's on the breaks when 
when someone says, you know, what's going on in your life, that's when the the real intimacy can happen. And again, I think because guys have been traditionally told that being vulnerable is not good. And I think, you know, when you look at little boys, you know, you can look at four and five-year-old boys and they're really open with each other. They run around, they talk, they're physical. And then something happens. And I think it's our culture says, you know, don't act like a girl. Don't be too emotional. Don't cry. And all of a sudden there's sort of this shutdown and boys start to make fun of each other for being emotional, for being um, open. And so it it shuts down, and it shuts down pretty early. Marissa, briefly, if you're afraid to sort of seek that deeper level of friendship, what do you do? Mm. I call it sort of like vulnerability scaffolding, like starting to be vulnerable with the one person who feels safest in your life. That could be a family member, that could be a therapist. And then kind of moving from there so that you receive that safety from them. And if you're vulnerable with the next person and they don't receive it well, it won't feel as painful because you do have a safe place to go. Coming up, Matt Ritter and Aaron Cairo have been friends since the second grade. Every year, they get together with their seven friends to celebrate each other with a trophy they give to the group's Man of the Year. They have a podcast by the same name now, and it's all about helping men forge meaningful friendships. We speak with Matt and Aaron about their podcast and their friendship after the break. Stay with us. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Stamps.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. Do you ever wish you could get your stories in three hours rather than three minutes? Or maybe you're sick of doom scrolling, getting your news in bits and pieces. That is where Embedded comes in. We bring you documentary series that will change the way you think about things. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get back to the discussion with this message we got from Christopher, who writes, Due to gender norms, men have a limited range of what they can do together. Going to the gym, grabbing a drink, playing video games. I found these are ways men gather, but they're not necessarily generating intimacy. I've come out about this to a number of men in my hometown, and they've shared the same. So we've been gathering each Wednesday, very intentionally, to touch base about the week. Our emotions. It's been such a bomb. Christopher, thanks for sharing that. I want to bring two new voices into the conversation, Matt Ritter and Aaron Cairo. They've been friends for 30 years, along with their seven other childhood friends. The two of them now have a podcast all about helping men make and maintain friendships. It's called Man of the Year. Matt, Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us on. Well, Aaron, like I said, the two of you have been friends since the second grade. You're in your 40s now. Tell us about your friendship with Matt. We've been friends way too long. <laughs> uh, it was way too long. I met Matt in uh, 1986 
and I will say he's exactly the same person as he was in second grade as he is now. <laughs> he's a little nutty. He's a little crazy. He's very smart. And he bullies me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man, I have to give you a chance to respond. How would you describe your friendship with Aaron? Aaron is amazing. I count on him uh, way too much. Uh, I wouldn't even have known how to be able to get online without him. So <laughs> friend of utility. And I just want to say thank you so much for having us on. And I really appreciated hearing from the psychologist. And I love that the Surgeon General is talking about this. But I also think it's important to get two regular schmoes on who have dealt with a lot of this stuff. Like we both changed careers. We moved uh, across the country as adults. I just had a newborn baby. So I'm, I'm prioritizing a lot of that. Thank you so much. And I also was not vulnerable until very recently in my life as a man and my friendships. What what changed for you to open you up to being more vulnerable? Yeah, a couple of things. I would say therapy was one. My dad passing away was two. It just was one of those realizations like I can't keep all this stuff in for my whole life and I don't want to. And, you know, obviously my wife helped me along the way, but I think also practicing gratitude. We like to say um, that for men, we're not trying to make you do all this stuff at once. It feels so monumental. We like to say thank you is a gateway emotion. Aaron and I say I love you each episode. I don't expect men listening to go, oh, I'm going to start saying I love you tomorrow to my friends. But maybe just start with thank you, and it just kind of opens up that same muscle to start working it. Aaron, when Matt moved into a time in his life when he wanted to be more open, how do you think that changed the nature of your relationship with one another? Well, now he doesn't stop telling me he loves me. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we get it. Like, we get it. You've proven your point. You're so vulnerable now. You're the man. Uh, no, it has it has made our friendship so much more enjoyable, enlightening, um, because there's no real boundaries. If he's feeling something good or bad, sometimes it could be good. I know he'll, he'll come to me. So I, I honestly feel we've never been closer. And again, we've been friends for so long. I mean, you, you asked him his name and he talked for 10 minutes. I mean, he's been doing the same thing <laughs> since we were little kids. Uh, and it's, it's never been better. Did his increased vulnerability open something up in you as well? I mean, I was already, I was already real wide open, Jen. So it was, it probably wasn't possible, but no, absolutely. Because every friendship is going to be different. So you sort of have to meet your vulnerability levels at where the other guy is. And so there was all kinds of stuff that we probably had never talked about before that now, now that we could. So again, now I can't shut him up, but he's really made like, and he's, he's, he's done so well. He's, I'm really so proud of him. It's one big cry fest for us. (laughs) We'd be mad, we call me. Well, well, why was it important for you to take not just your friendship, but also the lessons you've learned about maintaining that friendship and and make a podcast about it? Why did what did you want to say to other men, Matt? I'll tell I'll tell you why. Because we started this thing by happenstance, by luck. We didn't set out to go, hey, we're gonna have these lifelong friendships and we'll be the experts. But along the way, we started seeing other friends not have this thing happen to them. And we people started following along on social media in the past few years. And they would go, who's going to win this year? Like random people would be invested in this. And we would always get these messages from men going, damn, I wish I had done that. I wish I had done that in my 20s. I wish I, I had kept in touch with my friends. And we were like, it's not too late. 
we're doing this in real time. It's never too late. That's like our main takeaway is that like there are a lot of other things that in life it's it's hard to get back or it's hard to recapture. You may not be able to get that love interest back. You can always make a friend. I truly believe that at any age. So that was sort of the thing. We were like, we have to be able to share this because we lucked into it, but we actually learned the lessons and we've been applying them to ourselves. And with with post-COVID isolation, we just saw so many men struggling. We are like, this is the one thing we're good at. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the name of the podcast is Man of the Year, and it comes from this annual tradition you have with each other and seven other friends you also met in elementary school. Aaron, take us through the tradition and what happens every year. Yeah. So uh, first of all, we're from uh, Long Island, a town called Plainview. Uh, and every year on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, the nine of us gather from wherever we are. We now live in the country and we have dinner at Peter Luger's in Brooklyn, which is a really famous steakhouse. And we catch up, we have a Friendsgiving meal, and then we vote on which of the nine friends had the best year. And then that friend wins our Man of the Year trophy. It's about like half a Stanley Cup. You get your name engraved on it, and then you keep the trophy for the rest of the year. And, you know, Matt and I will always say, like, yes, it's really cool to win the trophy, but what it's really about is creating a ritual where every year we know we're going to be together, and the other 364 days... We're talking smack on the group text. Well, I wonder, Aaron, I'm thinking about the man of the year ritual. And if if you've got this group of close friends and you're all sort of vying for who had the best year, what about the guy in the room who had a really rough year? How do you all come around that person so that they don't feel like, man, everybody's doing so well except for me? That can be so isolating. Well, first of all, he doesn't get to win the trophy. Sorry. <laughs> um, you touched on a great point, which is that sometimes people don't have a great year. We've had some big illnesses. We've we've had deaths. We've had divorces. But we're all coming together as friends in thick or thin. I mean, yes, we will vote on who, who who's the best, but it's in good fun. Um, and, and, you know, those callers you just played made me think about something that Matt talks about a lot on the podcast, which is that a lot of people – actually who say they're lonely or don't have friends, they they do have friends. They just haven't talked to them in a while or haven't put a ritual in place. So I love when people say, oh, we get together every Thursday, once a month, twice a year. Put something on the calendar so there's no excuse. I think in your first segment, someone said that like a bunch of people cancel on the bachelor party. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're, as Matt would, would make fun of me, those people are now dead to me. Uh, <laughs> but everybody else... They're good. I, Matt, how do you prevent this friend group from just being about the ritual, right? Like, if we show up for the Man of the Year award, that's enough. We're maintaining the friendship. So, you know, the ritual, again, the ritual is just a way to anchor the friendship. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to say it's all about this trophy. It's just... It can be anything. It doesn't have to be a dinner. It can, whatever it is for your friend group, you just have to anchor something in the ground about consistency, right? What our friendship is really about is checking in on each other. And Aaron and I always say friendship is just about two words, showing up at its core. Like, let's just simplify all this. Like, it's really just, are your are you my friend? Then you show up for me. And and that doesn't mean always physically showing up for a party, but it can be if it's an important thing like the bachelor party, but it's showing up like me being able to feel comfortable saying, Hey, I'm struggling. Can we just sit and talk? We don't have to go and do something to make it be about an event. So, you know, I, I think I, it's really just this idea of 
making sure that your friends know that you're around for them and available to them. And that's why the group chat is so easy because it's already there. And sometimes we like to say that if you're missing a friend and you want to check in with them, but that feels hard, maybe it's easier to put them on a group. Hey, you all went to law school together or, you know, you guys are camp friends. Somehow that feels a little easier than the one-on-one reach out. And I think that sometimes opens the door for that thing of like, I want to reconnect with this person, but I'm feeling like it's a little too hard. So your podcast is all about helping men with their friendships. But what do you hear from men about what the biggest struggle is in, in making and then maintaining those relationships? Aaron? Well, a lot of guys have uh, moved, so they're not in the same place where their childhood friends are. And then a lot, another thing Matt and I talk about a lot is that men have been normalized to prioritize uh, romantic relationships and kids in career. And then they find themselves our age and they look around and they don't have any friends uh, or they say they don't have friends. We actually get a lot of messages from wives and spouses who are basically like, my husband has no friends. Please help him. Get him out of the freaking house. He's driving me crazy. Hmm. I mean, it's interesting that you say that because when I met my husband, one of the, the big questions was, do you, do you have friends? Like, do you have friends? And not just guys you hang out with at the bar, but people who can give you good counsel. People who you will go to when you're having issues with me and who will talk to you and let you have a space to express whatever you're feeling. Is that something you, you talk to men about, the importance of having that, that sort of <laughs> counsel of, of men you can turn to and, and get that feedback and have that safe space, Matt? Yeah, we actually talk about types of friends and the sort of diversity of your friendships. So, you know, we actually did a whole segment about having a cheerleading crew, which I find women are so much better at that. Like a woman has a job interview coming up. She's got like four people calling her that morning, pumping her up. And I don't think that has been a normalized, you know, we're saying, hey, let's normalize some of these behaviors. That's one where it's like, you know, within your friend circle, let them know, hey, I have got this big thing coming up. Like, just, you know, I need a little shout out. It's really, it really is easy, but I, you have to sort of thoughtfully curate a friend group to do that. And a lot of friends can serve multiple roles. That's the good thing about friends is like, you know, I'm also um, the fun, you know, guy who, you know, will, will be really great in Vegas, but I'm also there and I'm a good listener and I will be there for you. And I also like bird watching. So if you're into that, I'm, I'm, I'm a good guy for that too. I want to go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from Justin in Kansas. I'm in my early 30s, and one of my biggest problems making new friends is that all of my current friends and myself have kids, so we do a lot of child-related hanging out or gathering late at night to play games to continue our socialization. If I meet somebody new at a bar that doesn't share those values, it's just not enough time to really get out and connect with them. Justin, thanks for that message. Now, Aaron, members of your friend group, have kids. What advice do you have for Justin and other fathers trying to make or maintain friendships? Well, first of all, I'm the only one of our nine group who's single and doesn't have kids. So NPR listeners in Los Angeles, uh, I'm single. Um, but uh, any ladies out there? <laughs> uh, but, you know, we, we've talked about this going both ways, you know, first of all, for the people with kids, you know, don't forget your childless friends. Like, you can invite them to the birthday parties. Now, I'll probably say no, uh, but I like the invitation. Now, I'm, I'm going to pass over to Matt because he's a new dad, and he can talk about sort of the new dad yeah. strategies and making new friends and losing some friends. Yeah. yeah, well, I would say the number one thing is if you want to have your own friends, don't just leave it up to your spouse because then you will just be friends with 
the random guys <laughs> your wife is friends with, the, hus- the, the husband of your wife's friend. And that's okay. You, they can be a potential friend, but that is not quite the thoughtfully effort, you know, that you've put into making your friend that shares your interests. Um, and, you know, and do, look, I, I agree. Priorities, like your, 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 your child and your wife are going to be your priority. The good thing about friendship is, you know, there isn't like a set amount of hours. I think it's a pretty low bar to, to sort of make somebody a friend. You know, if you, if you have some sort of activities, your friend doesn't need to be the be all. It could just be like, oh, this guy likes music. I like music. He'll be my concert friend. Or if you don't share a lot of that stuff and it is just about the kids, that's okay too. It's okay to just go, okay, this person is a dad friend and that's cool. But if you want to level up, then I think you also have to go, okay, well, I want to you know, share some things. You have to be a little bit vulnerable if you want to get beyond that. That's Matt Ritter and Aaron K. Rowe. They're the hosts of a podcast called Man of the Year about male friendships and their best friends. Matt, Aaron, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks. It's been amazing, and Carol calls me his second best friend, for the record, but this was lovely. <laughs> Today, you were my first best friend, Matt. <laughs> Who's counting? We'll continue our conversation with psychologists Marissa Franco and Fred Rabinowitz next. I'm Jen White. This is 1A. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Jesse Thorne. Why did Cola Scola write a bonkers, extremely fictionalized play about Mary Todd Lincoln? Well, you know, it was 2020 and we were all so isolated. I I just started doing research. But the truth is, no, I just thought of it. We'll talk about that and more on Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Taylor Swift has dropped a new album. She is the biggest pop star in the world and everything she does makes news. I gasped. I was like, oh my God, I've been there and you can identify with it. For a breakdown of Taylor Swift and her new album, The Tortured Poets Department, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Let's get back to the conversation. I want to get to some of the questions we've gotten. Quasi writes, friendships are very difficult to come by, especially when you're an immigrant. Finding people to open up to has been difficult for me, and I've found myself being the one always chasing after those I meet, trying to build the friendships I crave. I don't want to be the only person in my li- I don't want the only person in my life to be my wife and kids, but that's where I found myself. Fred, I'd love to hear from you on this because we we heard um, our last two guests talk about how family, having children, how it can change the dynamics of your friendships. But Quasi's talking about just having difficulty making those friendships as as an immigrant. Any guidance? Yeah, and I think I think this is a great uh, part because I think the guys that were on, you know, um, Aaron and Matt, they new friends from a, for a long time. And so one of the things that I, that I know I face, and I, I've been, again, running these men's groups, is that there are a lot of guys that are transplanted, displaced, immigrants, whatever, whatever has taken them away from maybe some of the intimacy and connections they've had before. And so I do think that there, you know, there are some, some places they can go in terms of like joining a group, you know, there's some online type groups, 
Um, I, it feels like the, the key really is to try to just stay open, even when it's hard, you know, and I, and I think the, the, the person who called in about that was really telling us that he's trying really hard and it's not happening. And I think just continually putting yourself out there, there will be things that will happen, but you don't have control over everything. So how do you overcome the disappointment of not making that connection, right? You might meet somebody and you think, oh, there's real potential here, but then it just doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, I think part, I, I think part of it is there's this simultaneously enjoying the moment, being really present when you feel a connection. And sometimes those connections last and sometimes they don't. So I think one of the alternatives to having long-term friendships is to bring your full presence to whatever experiences you're having, whether it's at work, whether it's at play, whether it's, you know, just meeting people and to just bring that and enjoy the intimacy that comes in the moment, that comes from just sharing something that's really interesting. I'll tell a a little fan story. I took my son to um, college several years ago and there I heard this guy talking and I, he and I started talking and he sounded like a guy from Jersey and I'm, I'm originally from Philly. Um, and we just started talking about the empty nest and our kids leaving and this was our last kid and everything. Turned out I was talking to Bruce Springsteen. He was really down to earth. I had this great in- encounter with him. And afterwards I went, that, I think that was Bruce. And then I looked up and it was like, yeah, my son, I talked, texted my son. He goes, yeah, I'm hanging out with his son. And it was like so down to earth. It says a lot about Bruce, but it also was like I was open in the moment to have that experience. I I, got to tell you, Fred, that story took a turn. I was not (laughs) expecting it to go there, but what a great story. Marissa, we've been talking mostly about friendships between men, but what about male-female friendships? What's the benefit of having friends outside your gender? Yeah, well, you know, people say that they get this insider's perspective from people of a different gender, but... We also see in the research that actually men report, in general, women report experiencing the greatest intimacy in their friendships with other women. But men, it's actually, the research is really mixed. Sometimes men report experiencing more intimacy with their friendships with men. Sometimes they report that their friendships with women are more intimate. Um, and, you know, that's because norms in women's friendships around expressing vulnerability, expressing affection can really benefit men who are willing to be friends with women. Um, unfortunately, we also see this trend in the research that men are more likely to want to befriend women that they have some sexual attraction to. And so I think sometimes men will be reluctant to befriend women if there's not that initial sexual attraction. And I think that could also come from concerns over like sexual harassment that can also impede friendships across genders. But generally we see that, you know, particularly for men, because women do have these norms around affection and vulnerability with people that they connect with, that having those cross-gender connections can be really, really helpful. Fred, you've been leading a weekly men's emotional support group since 1986. What has it taught you about the kind of emotional support men need in their lives? A lot of men just need to be heard. They need to be seen. Um, They need to feel like they have some significance or importance. And unlike the guys that know each other for their whole lives, you bring together oftentimes guys that don't know each other and then create a community, create an atmosphere where it's where where people can be open and each person becomes 
like a new friend who has unique characteristics, unique qualities. And what's common is that everyone is listening to each other, paying attention, giving that support, and in a way, learning how to make new friends in the process. And so what happens from the group is that the guys get the skills within the group and then outside of group can also use those skills and kind of expand their interpersonal toolbox to make connections in other places as well. We got this question from Anthony who asks, can you talk about how the lack of male friendships may lead to extreme group identities like the Proud Boys? Fred? Yeah, no, that's a good, a great question. Um, I think because there's a need for affiliation, it may even be evolutionary for us to be kind of tribal to have a group. We search out for groups and there are groups out there that appeal to all kinds of different aspects of ourselves. And so one of one of the ways men sometimes bond is around, you know, maybe political ideology or feeling about some issue. And those kinds of extreme groups take advantage of that. And they take advantage of, I think, an unconscious or an underlying male isolation and loneliness and provide a feeling of like camaraderie and, you know, team and, and groupness that a lot of guys are seeking. And, you know, so there's a lot of ways the need is there. And so there's lots of different ways that men will enter that world. And I think the extreme, the extremist groups kind of take advantage of that. We got this email from Chris. He says, my young adult son has no friends because most of his friendships were online through gaming. This is fine while he was spending time gaming, but now that he's out in the real world, he has no one to do things with and no social skills to develop new friends in the physical world. Fred, you've spoken a bit about the benefits of technology, but here's a parent saying this is the other side of it. If someone made the majority of their community online and is now trying to figure out how to do that in real life, what advice can you share? Yeah, I know that that's a hard one. And I see, I see it, you know, at the university too, a lot of young men uh, don't have those kinds of connections. They're used to being online with people. And I think part, part of what, what needs to happen is perhaps um, young man needs to like you know, go maybe maybe go to therapy, maybe join another group, maybe even use the online community. You know, he could still go back on the online and and initiate some conversations and try to meet people in real life. I think that's the the hard part. The lack of social skills is a problem, and um, it needs to be addressed. I think more from a, a perspective of practice and taking risks and having some support for that. So maybe going to a therapist or maybe even, you know, just a men's group. You know, I'd love to have a guy like that in my men's group. I think that would, he would, he would learn from the older guys. And also it would be a safe space for him to, you know, find out what he's, what he's feeling and thinking and being able to express that. We'll end on this email from Makeda, who says, My father, who passed recently at 76, met with his friends from high school in Ethiopia and college in D.C. bi-monthly for lunch. They would eat injera and catch up. They also collected a little money every time and contributed it to the friend who needed it, whether it was a funeral or braces for the kids. They took care of each other, and I believe it made him a better dad. When he passed, they showed up in droves and paid for his funeral. He was grateful for them, and so was I. 
We've been talking to Fred Rabinowitz. He's a professor and chair in psychology at the University of Redlands in California. And Marissa Franco. She's a psychologist and friendship expert. She's also the author of Platonic, How the Science of Attachment Can Help You Make and Keep Friends. Fred, Marissa, thanks to you both. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A. Summer is for going to the movie theater because it's too hot to stay home. It's for driving with the windows down, listening to your favorite music. It's for stretching out while you're on vacation to gobble up a TV show. For a guide to some of the TV, movies, and music we are most excited about this summer, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR.